Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Hello, Lawsy. Good morning. We have just spent 30 minutes recording the yes. ad today. It's one of those mornings, isn't it? <laughs> it's one of those mornings. Anyway, that is okay because this is a very special episode and the body of this episode is a little bit longer mm. than we've been going for this season because we have two guests. So mm. we're going to keep our little spiel at the start short today. Yeah, definitely. We've got our special share though. Do you want to go first? Yes. So my special share is actually not a specific special share. Mm. It's just like a random thing that I wanted to share. Lovely. It is fiction books. Okay. Yeah. Very random. Very general. So I am a non-fiction reader because Mm -hmm. I find that fiction is like a you don't really learn anything from it. So I'm Ah, always, when I read, I always associate it with like, I have to be learning. I have to be taking things in. But I've recently started reading a fiction book before bed and I am loving it. It's just so nice to just read in a book book for the enjoyment of it. And that's all. Yeah, no, totally. I think, I mean, that that must come from the years of study that you've obviously been in (laughs) and you've only been used to really reading for that purpose. I've heard you say that before about reading and it's funny because I'm the opposite. If I'm reading something that I'm learning from, I like literally take months to finish it. Whereas <laughs> yeah. if I read a fiction book, I'll read it in like a couple of nights. Um, but that's good. What book is it? Uh, I don't know. It's called Something to Do with Breathing. I'll, okay. I'll tell you next week. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's really good though. Well, I'm yeah. glad you're enjoying it. Thank you. What is yours? My special share is actually something that I did only this morning that I got the idea from you, which I've never done before. Not, you never I mean, got no, an idea? Well, that's not what I meant. <laughs> well, the no, truth no, comes no, no, no. out. That's not what I meant. I meant, um, so the meditation's on our app. I've never done one in the car before. I thought you were going to say you've never done one before. No, I was like, um, definitely not. I definitely do them have. all the time. But um, the ones I've never done one in the car, and I saw your post this morning um, about getting somewhere early and, and and fitting one in. And so when I got to work, because this morning I'd planned to do a yoga flow, and then it didn't happen, and then I just kind of got in the car and wanted to beat the traffic and get to work. But then when I got to work, I was like. I shouldn't have rushed to work. I mm. probably should have taken my time. Um, and so I sat in the car and I did one of our meditations from the Wellness Hub. So I did the morning productivity one with Meg and it only goes for five minutes and you basically set your intentions and stuff for the day. And I really I really enjoyed it and I think it's one that I might now probably do many mornings of every week. I think it's just a really nice reminder that you can kind of change your mindset at the start of the day and... I don't know. I really liked it and I had a lot to do this morning, so it helped me get through that. But I um, just wanted to share that. Love it. No, I love that. I did The one I did this morning was the confidence boost one, mm. but I, it's, a, it's a good one because it goes to four and a half minutes. So it's you can nice get it in one. in the morning and it just like makes you feel really good. Yeah. It's the confidence booster. Anyway. So today's so, podcast, yes. as you said, Lawsy, um, we are touching on the Australian bushfires for this podcast. As you guys know, we've had Wildlife Victoria on as our sponsor um, and through that I think it kind of sparked interest in in learning a little bit more about the fires um, and finding out more. We've got two very special guests on today. Um, One is Jordan who's a friend of mine another one is Michael. We're going to start with Michael's chat. Yes Michael he was just amazing and you may have seen us share on Instagram that we actually interviewed Michael and his koala so you will hear that. (laughs) 
That was so, so beautiful. It was actually <laughs> insane having a koala in their room. Um, but Michael is a really special person. So he is the founder of the Roo Keepers. And the Roo Keepers have grown to become a recognised name in ecological learning across Melbourne and regional Victoria. And their programs have been built to connect children and adults alike with nature and encourage more sustainable ways of living to ensure we have a world for our grandkids and even their children to enjoy. Michael's passion for animals is incredibly touching and we hope you enjoy our chat with him. Hello, Michael. G'day, how are you? And who have we got here with you? Yeah, uh, so this little girl that I've got clinging to my shoulder, her name is Winnie and she's a southern koala. I wish everyone could see her right now. She's, she's so pretty cute. cute. Yeah, she's oh, yeah. very content. I can't believe we've got a koala in the room. We've never had one on the podcast before. <laughs> is she going to speak to us? Maybe. We'll see if we'll say a few words. Winnie? They have quite... Ooh. Oh! <laughs> she's she's, she's checking it out. I wish you guys could say this. She is literally at the microphone, like, smelling it, but it looks like she's about to talk. This it's, is the best. It's quite funny, though, because um, I've got quite a few relatives from overseas, and when they come over and they hear what a koala actually sounds like, like when they're doing their mating call and stuff, yeah, yeah. they're so wigged out because yeah. it's just it doesn't sound like it should come out. So the girls? It's like make thing. a screeching noise. Yeah, it's and like the screaming. Boys, like a big bellowing noise, like a. Yeah. Yeah, like a. I can't really do it. Great. Like, Stop, Dad. Well, Stop thank you for being me. here. No worries. And for Winnie being here. Not a problem at all. I think, obviously, I mean, us as well, we would think that, and a lot of people that meet you would think you have the dream job. I mean, you get yep. to sit here cuddling a koala, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and obviously, with the Roo Keepers, you have an incredible mission. Yeah, we do. With that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? And yep. do you get to cuddle koalas all day? Is that your job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Or to it? Yeah, so I guess uh, starting off, I always wanted to be like a zookeeper and I never really pursued it. So I was in the army for a few years. I was mm. a builder. I was a bricklayer. I was a fruit and veg manager. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I just wanted to sort of work with animals. So I oh. uh, left all that and, and pursued my dream. And, um, yeah, I mean, it is a dream job, but uh, you do get used to it as well. So... Some people look into my life and go like, man, that, that bloke's got a, a weird household you know, with 100 <laughs> animals floating around. But um, yeah, it's, it's no different to me. So yeah, but um, basically I started the Root Keepers. Um, I had a passion for education. So mm-hmm. working in um, wildlife parks and things like that. I love speaking to like older people because I just love listening to what I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we go out into schools and kinders and we do corporate and it's quite the opposite really. You've got kids that are just, you know, they just really hard to get your attention whereas like old people just grab to anything you say um so yeah it's a bit uh, complicated and tricky but um yeah our main mission is to really educate the younger generation so they, they're aware of uh, what's going on and and hopefully we can get some little conservationists in the making so yeah absolutely yeah. so other than going to the schools and, and doing those talks like you said what's a yeah. general day in the life of the root keepers yeah, so five or six o'clock, wake up in the morning and uh, turning everything on in the in the uh, reptile room takes about half an hour. So we've got to go around and manually turn on all the lights. Um, then we have to do our morning clean. So go around and clean up the, the koala's mess that she leaves in her indoor enclosure. <laughs> and Winnie, is, uh, Winnie poos a lot, is that right? She does, yeah, <laughs> up to 200 times a day. So, like Literally, we go in there in the morning and it looks like there's been a flood because she wheezes so much and there's just poo everywhere. So tackle that job first and put her outside and then we, um, yeah, just to make sure everything's all right. And generally, we jump in the van at usually six or seven, uh, head down to Melbourne. We've got three vans that run and um, we do shows throughout schools and kinders uh, and then come home and feed emails. There's uh, always something to do. I've got uh, three kids as well and, and a partner. Aww. So, yeah, it's a pretty full-on household. So uh, when I'm not with the animals, I'm trying to spend as much time with them too. So, 
Yeah. Is that your but dream for them to grow up and be as into it as you are? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy with them doing whatever they want. Yeah. You know, like I'd, I'd love them to, to be little activists or conservationists, but um, yeah, I mean, if they want to be doctors or, mm. or truck drivers or, you know, whatever, I don't really care as long as they're happy. So That's nice. Yeah. Do they love the animals? They do. Yeah. 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 So I've got um, my little girl, uh, her name's uh, Zali. And she's got her own Instagram, Zookeeper Zali. You'll have to look it up. But, How old yeah, is she? She wrangles snakes and she always helps me out and helps me unload the van and um, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. And then I've got a little girl. Her name's Yara. And um, she's sort of getting into it now, uh, but she's still quite young. And then I've got my youngest, which is like... Uh, how old is she? <laughs> like uh, maybe 10 months, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> and she just, yeah, she just stares at animals and laughs. But yeah, oh. it's, it's pretty cute to see them sort of growing up and having such a cool connection with animals. Um, you know, I'd love to have that, that environment to grow up in and yeah, hopefully we make some some little ranges. Oh, it'd be pretty special. Yeah. Imagine like when they're at school and they're doing show and tell and stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, on the weekend, yeah. <laughs> wrangled this snake. And <laughs> yeah, they literally sit down at the table and have breakfast and there's like a kangaroo scratching at the oh, window, a koala oh sitting up in a little perch in a tree. So, yeah, it's it's quite an unusual uh, household for, for most, but like my little daughter had her um, third birthday at our house and like all her friends were like walking through the reptile room and, and she was showing them all the, the lizards and getting them out and... <laughs> getting the hold them and yeah it's pretty, pretty cute so yeah so i initially found out about yourself and the root keepers through jason pj yep listening to them um and that was when the well i suppose obviously the bushfires are still going on of course but yep. um when they were talking about that and you came on and i suppose you started to speak about um the kind of effects it's had on animals um do yep. you want to kind of because I suppose there's so much beautiful, special moments in your job, but yeah. there is also that rehabilitation kind of part of it yeah. and the shocking statistics and stuff that you shared, I found really quite um, scary, but very interesting. Um, anything you want to share with how the something like the bushfires can affect our native wildlife? Yeah, how long you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I'm, I'm so keen yeah. to learn about it. So Yeah, no worries. So yeah, the, the fires sort of came through um, before Christmas it yeah. sort of started, so a pretty early fire season. And, um, yeah, we've had some of the hottest years on record um, year after year after year. Mm. So, yeah, we're um, topping those uh, those records there. So, um, yeah, but the fires devastated our animals. We've, um, we've lost, oh, what is it, like 30,000 koalas on Kangaroo mm. Island mm. out of the 50 or 60,000 that were there. So, mm. yeah, absolutely massive. We've lost... I think another 10,000 koalas in New South Wales and then Victoria as well. So, and it's not, I mean, koalas, they're in the, in the spotlight, but it's not just like the cute little koala sitting on my shoulder here mm -hmm. that's um, under threat. It's things like, things you wouldn't think of like fish mm -hmm. are becoming uh, threatened through it as well. Mm -hmm. um, things like the glossy black cockatoo. Mm -hmm. You think, how can a bird be affected by mm -hmm. a fire? Um, but they like predominantly eat the, the nuts and the seeds off the plants that have been burnt. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to, to digest and talk about and it it does, um, yeah, get me a little bit emotional, but yeah. Well, it's because you're so passionate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, um, yeah, I'm not much of an emotional person, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty brutal. So. <laughs> so from here, where do we go with yep. that? So I think one of the, the biggest problems that we have is, I mean, the fires were bad, yeah. but we've got to think about what actually caused the fires in the yep. first place. You know, if we fix the fires, it's all we just say, oh, that's another fire, another year. Mm. It's just sort of a Band-Aid method. We really have to get 
um, behind what's causing them. And I think one of the biggest things that's causing them is climate change. Mm -hmm. And as bad as these fires are, I think it's really good that people are so aware now Mm -hmm. of the impacts of climate change and what it's actually doing. So, yeah, so we've got, um, with the climate changing, just for those who don't know what climate change is or Mm -hmm. how to define it, um, basically it's got nothing to do with fires or storms or tsunamis or anything like that. It's just basically the Earth's temperature is heating up mm-hmm. and that's that temperature has to go somewhere. So one of the first places it goes is through the ocean. So um, the ocean absorbs all the heat and then from there, like things like humidity and, and evaporation and things like that will cause your floods and your severe weather and uh, also your higher temperatures drying out your trees and things like that as well. So climate change is huge. Also with... Um, like koalas, before the fires, we were going out and educating people on um, koalas and, and, and climate change and how it will affect them. Mm. So basically, pre-fires, koalas were still in danger from climate change, not from the fires itself, mm. but their leaves were drying out, mm-hmm. um, so they got no moisture in them, so they had to come down to the ground. And uh, also, things like the leaf itself is more toxic the drier it gets. So, yeah, the koalas would have been in strife, you know, if... If climate change persists without the fires, so yeah. But, and um, what yeah. can we do from here? Mm. Like when you're going into schools and educating yep. students, what are the main messages you are trying to get across? Because I feel like sometimes mm. with climate change, there can be so many messages, and it's almost yeah. too hard to digest. So, what are you teaching students in it schools? It is super hard to digest, <laughs> and <laughs> it's really confusing. And there's really no one answer to, mm. to solve it. Um, the you know we've got all these industries that are affecting climate change. The biggest industry, of course. What do you think it is? Coal. Yeah, fossil fuels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what the second biggest industry affecting climate change is? Oh no. It's a. It's the F word. <laughs> F- oh, don't know. No, don't, don't say the actual F. Word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fashion. Oh, okay, of course. Yeah. 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 So, fashion's a big one, and I don't yeah. mean to sort of throw it out there. Like I know you've got a long, a lot of young listeners that, that love fashion and all that sort of stuff. Um, but these days it's sort of a throwaway culture where totally. we're getting all these clothes and they're, they're becoming outdated within two weeks and, you know, mm-hmm. some garments you'd only wear once and um, just to make the clothes the amount of water that you need to make the cotton and um, also just the fertilisers that they use. Mm-hmm. That's the, um, the biggest thing. The fashion industry has more impact on the climate than things like aviation. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, it's massive. And it's important definitely to be more conscious with Absolutely. that. Yeah, so things like just... You using your clothes more than once. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, just you know, if they're broken, try and mend them or or try recycle them in a appropriate manner. Uh, so that's one thing. Like as a as a younger generation, that that I guess mm. could help. But also things like we've got to think about the trees that. <laughs> she doing <laughs> she was looking at us before so strange. cute <laughs> yeah so like the, the trees that these koalas live in um they're not just there for looks i mean they provide us with oxygen and mm-hmm. they store carbon uh the biggest the biggest thing we can do to help climate change mm-hmm. is to keep trees around and not just planting new trees but keeping mature trees around so mm-hmm. um by storing carbon um it's a great thing it um yeah it uh, helps with climate change and then we can also save these guys as well. And uh, koalas, they're called a flagship species. Mm-hmm. So basically, if we save the koalas, we're not just saving these guys. We're saving the endangered possums and the bandicoots mm. and everything within that ecosystem. So keeping trees in the ground, uh, another big thing. You can also plant them. But, you know, if we're thinking about planting trees for koalas, it takes nine years before yeah. the koala mm. can actually even eat them. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And you've got a mission to plant 10,000 trees we by 2027. 20, yeah. yeah, so for every show we do, we give out a free tree um, and we're trying to plant 10,000 trees like within schools and kinders by 2027, I think oh, it is. So <laughs> Read cool. the front of the brochure. Amazing, yeah, yeah 2027. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, I'd love to make more of an impact than that. I think 10,000 trees is a, a fairly small amount, but um, it's more of just... I think it's yeah. a huge amount. Mm. Imagine if every yeah. single person yeah. took it upon themselves to plant 10,000 trees. That's it. That's sort of the, the point is is we're setting an example mm. as a sustainable business and we hope that other businesses will do the same. So the other day I bought a um, like a, a little camera lens and... Um, with the purchase of this lens, they planted six trees. So, you know, it's an awesome, awesome thing. And if we have everyone in the country doing that, I mean, we'll have a, a totally different world. So, yeah, just a, a little initiative to sort of lead the way and, and hopefully we can plant some more habitat, not just for koalas, but for everything. So, yeah, like your little dunarts and your your glossy black cockatoos and, and all those other animals that are also Oh, she's leaning well. in. What do you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to support this initiative that you have, so the way to support is to book you for their corporate event, school yeah, talk, kinder that. talk, yeah, or just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care. But, oh. um, yeah, like I, I love doing what I do, but um, yeah, by no means um, should you book me if you want to help the environment. I mean, if you want to learn more about it and, and how we can do it, I'm there to help. But um, yeah, there are lots of things you can do that, that don't have the cost associated with it. I mean, we go out and do programs, obviously there's a price tag with it, but there are cheaper things that you can do that, that have just as much of an impact. But yeah, by all means, if you want to, <laughs> <laughs> go nuts. We do, uh, yeah, we do uh, schools, kids parties, um, we've done 60th birthdays, we do, we do corporate gigs, so... Yeah, we, we charge the corporates an absolute fortune and, and then use their, their money for good. So, yeah, sorry. Any for corporates listening? Corporates. No, I think that's fine. <laughs> no, I think they'd be fine with that. Yeah, yeah. Especially like if we bring a koala out, we just, we just yeah, go nuts and, and then just pump it all back into the zoo. So, yeah, since I've started seven years ago, I, I started at my parents' place in my, <laughs> in my room, which is probably no bigger than this. And my whole wall was just lined with snakes. And my <laughs> mum ended up kicking me out. Like, you know, you can't keep yeah. 60 animals in your room. So, uh, yeah, we've just slowly been growing, but I literally started from nothing. I had like a $500 car and now we've got three vans and 100 animals and like a purpose-built zoo. So, so I put good. my money to good. Amazing. And is <laughs> yeah. your zoo in your house? Yeah. Next yeah. to your house? So, so we live in a little town called Mount Edgerton and um, it's basically uh, about 50 minutes from Melbourne. And, um, yeah, we've got like a, a big double garage attached to our house, which has all our reptiles in it and our indoor koala enclosures. Mm-hmm. And then we've got um, all the uh, outside is, is filled with aviaries and things. So we've got five dingoes, we've got owls, so we've got cool. kookaburras and long-nosed potteroos and I'll have to go and visit. And bats. And yeah, for sure. That's so cool. Come on out. Um, and you mentioned before to us uh, about hopefully getting some koala joeys. Fingers crossed, yeah. So we've got this little girl here. She's three years old. Yeah. And then we've got another boy at home called Hank. Um, <laughs> he hasn't officially been introduced yet to the zoo. Mm. So we haven't um, put it out there that we do have him, but yeah. we just sort of like to know that he's going to stay alive before yeah. we announce it. And, of yeah, course, just, of course. Just raising any animal. It can be touch and go, especially mm. koalas. They're very fussy. So Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully in the next few uh, few months we'll announce that we have him and um, well we are doing it now to yeah. <laughs> at least a couple of thousand people. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. how old is Hank? Uh, Hank's nearly a year old now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So and um, they matured about three years. Oh yeah. Hopefully two years. 
but yeah, I want to be that like really old crazy guy that has like 400 koalas in his yard. <laughs> you know, like the, the crazy koala lady. <laughs> the crazy koala man. <laughs> I'm not a lady. <laughs> Other than breeding, where um, do the animals initially come from? Like are, are you finding them yeah. injured or? No, no. So we, we have to get all our animals um, captive bred. Yep. Um, I mean, I'd love to use injured animals, totally. but um, regulations in Victoria say that animals have to be pristine health to, yep. to take them around, okay. oh, which is course. a good thing. But yeah, then you've got those rescue animals that sort of sit in backyards and do nothing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got um, friends who um, have the Kangaroo Island Wildlife Park, okay. which I get a lot of my stuff from. So I worked with him at a wildlife park in Ballarat and we sort of became best mates. He took my job. We both applied for the same job <laughs> and he got the job. He had an excavator licence. So. <laughs> and then I got a, a casual on-call job and um, he actually trained me and he thought he, got, he thought I was a volunteer, so he didn't really train me properly and uh, got to the end of like the week of training and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back on Monday. He's like, oh, you've actually got a job here. <laughs> so, yeah, from there we sort of hit it off and we became really good mates and then he bought the wildlife park in like... 2014 or wow. 13 or something like that and um from there sort of built it up and i went over there and helped him out for a little while as he um as he moved in and and got um got settled so yeah and that's um probably been the biggest forefront of the the fires mm-hmm. the kangaroo island fires i mean the new south wales ones and the victoria ones were terrible but ki they lost like 60 70 percent of their their habitat like over half the island burnt so, yeah it's horrible yeah brutal mm-hmm. yeah yeah, they've got a, a massive team over there. They got a um, a GoFundMe of two point four million so far. So they've got lots of funding, and I think I was talking to him this morning on the way here, and he said he's had over six hundred koalas come through. He's had people everywhere, and now it's a little bit unusual because like people are starting to leave and, and go back to their jobs and mm. you know do their own thing. And mm. he's like, you know, all these people not in my house anymore. It's quite strange. Mm. To, yeah, but they're doing well over there. They've they've done a great job. It's um. Yeah, 30,000 koalas lost over there. So hopefully they can boost the population back. Yeah, absolutely. Just a quick fun fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they, uh, there was actually no koalas on the island. And in 1920, they introduced 18 koalas mm. to Kangaroo Island. Wow. And from those 18 became 60,000. 60, yeah. Oh so there's gosh. a bit of an argument saying that koalas are like functionally extinct. Uh, not necessarily true. There's okay. there's three things that, that they have to qualify to be functionally extinct. One is like that they're fossil state, so they're completely gone. Um, and one of the other ones is that they're incompatible to breed. So, you know, if you had three koalas and they're all boys, mm. obviously, yeah, mm. they're not extinct, but they can't sustain a population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so they're not functionally extinct. We can still save them. So the, the 60,000 koalas came from 18 um, originally, so... They can come back. We'll it's just it a again. matter of um, we've really got to look after what we've got. Mm. So, yeah. Well, we can't thank you and Winnie enough for coming <laughs> by. That's right. <laughs> I no wish worries. I wish we could have had a oh. visual podcast for this because this is just the most sweet thing ever. I forgot to feed her. Here you go. Do you want some food? <laughs> Show them how you eat. She's an absolute Miss Piggy. Oh, so, there she goes. Yeah. I don't actually know what this gummies we're feeding her now, but. Um, <laughs> We usually, there's like 30 different types they eat out of the 800 species and um, she'll just sort of go around and smell it and if she doesn't like it, we've got to drive another half an hour to get oh. get more gum. Fussy but eater. This was one of her favourites <laughs> and now she sort of turns her nose up to it a little bit. And it's, um, it's 
pretty hard to keep koalas. I used to think it was easy. Like I used to just go out and cut gum and they'd eat it. And now these days they're super fussy. So um, we've really got to be in tune with like our environment and, and know that blue gum flowers at this time or, or the tips are mm. of the leaves, the really young tips are available on certain trees. So we, we know sort of where to go and where to get them. But um, yeah, as you can see there, she's just like, eh, I don't really like this. Don't know about it. <laughs> I'll probably eat it. But <laughs> I'd rather sleep. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for everything that you do and for sharing um, your information with our community. I think I've definitely learned a lot. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we'll make sure we've got um, a link to your website in the show notes so people can check you out. No worries. Thanks so much for having me and uh, and thanks for caring. Next up, I chatted with Jordan, which funnily enough, I know personally as Ari's groomer, (laughs) except she hasn't been his groomer over the last few months. She has been upstate doing a summer crew project firefighting. We wanted to find out more about the frontline attack, what's involved in firefighting, what she's learned and experienced and check in with her to see how she's personally been coping with it. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. So you are actually our first guest we've ever had over the phone. So guys, if you think that her audio sounds a bit different to usual, we have called Jordan from where she is upstate. Um, so thank you for taking the time to take our call. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so what I know of your role is that it's a little bit different from the CFA and I found it quite interesting to hear from you about the different services and how you all work together in these sort of disasters when they come up. Could you explain your role to our um, listeners and, yeah, maybe like a normal day for you or how it's been up yep. there um, with the forest fire management? Yeah, sure. So. Yeah, I work for, for um, Forest Fire Management Victoria um, and my role is a project firefighter. Mm. So we come on um, over the summer months, normally for about four months. And when we start, often a normal day is doing things like track clearing and making roads safe, making sure that culverts are cleaned and, yeah, I guess just making sure things are fire ready. And then what happens is when a fire um, is spotted, so if someone spots smoke and they call us up, then they'll send a team out there from our location and we'll go and try and find the fire. Um, and if we do find it, then what we'll do first is we'll try and put a, um, a minimal mineral earth break around the fire, so using hand tools like rakos and shovels and things like that, um, and that will just stop it from spreading. And if we can't do that, then we'll call in big machines like bulldozers and they'll do that job, put, put a break around the fire. So a normal day in my role is actually not always dealing with fire, but just being um, fire ready. So I guess when, when the CFA come into it, that's when there is a fire um, and we're all on the fire line um, trying to put the fire out. Um, and so the CFA will come along and, and they'll help us out doing things like rakoing, um, putting the middle, mineral earth breaks in, blacking out, which is putting water on the fire, trying to cool things down and, yeah, doing things like that. So um, it's really awesome. We not only work with the CFA, but we have the SES, um, the Vic Police. We've had the Australian Defence Force. Um, we've had teams from USA, Fiji. What else have we had in? Yeah, so many people have come to help, yeah, which is, is incredible to see. So, yeah, and it's obviously been a huge fire season. So we've worked a lot alongside these other organizations yeah um and then cfa will do things so when there's not fires they'll do things like road accidents and house fires and things like that Mm. so okay yeah okay and is this the first time you've done this is this the first time you've fought fires 
Yes, it sure is. <laughs> so this is, um, I've been thrown completely in the deep end, which is, it has been challenging, but super rewarding. So yeah, I've learned so much this season and I didn't really know what I was going to expect, but I think I don't think anyone really did. I don't think anyone knew that this was going to be the severity of, of what we were walking into. So it's been a bit of a, a bit of a shock. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think I remember late last year before you gave Ari his, his Christmas <laughs> chop, um, you mentioned that you were going up to do it. And I think obviously the fires have been happening since September, but as you said, I don't think we all realised how bad they really were going to get. So I'm sure that that must yeah. have been really scary um, heading up there to the unknown and yeah. then getting as bad as they've they've gotten. What made you want to work in that space? What made you want to go up there? And- um, well, I think first and foremost, so I'm actually working where my family lives. So I really wanted to spend a summer up where I've grown up. So mm-hmm. I lived in Melbourne, but my dad and family lived up in Marlow, which is East Gippsland. And I just really wanted to spend some time up there. It's the most incredible country. I live right on the beach and it's just it's so awesome to be able to go bushwalking and, and just do all the things, I guess, in the environment, uh, which I'm pretty passionate about because I've been studying environmental science for the last couple of years yeah. and just finishing my degree. So I kind of thought this would be a really awesome opportunity to learn a lot. And I'd heard that this particular job was going to give me a lot of life skills. So, And I guess I didn't really know what it was that I was fully getting myself into until um, I got up there. And it's honestly been... It's been extremely tough, but mm. probably the most rewarding job I've ever had. Like I've learned things like how to use a chainsaw, mm. um, how to fall drive, fire behavior, um, you know, mapping skills, all sorts of different things. And I've also got to go to places that are literally untouched, like bush that's never been, you know, trekked through before. So mm. it's really awesome to be able to get that opportunity. So I think that was probably a massive draw in for me and also anyone that's ever lived or been near a country town there's just an awesome sense of camaraderie like everyone comes together and I really wanted to experience that over a summer Um, I think I've lived in the hustle and bustle of the city for a while and I just wanted to get away and experience something different so yeah I guess that's what kind of drew me in and throwing yourself into quite a different hustle (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, now, I know you like to keep fit, um, but I'm sure yeah. some of the days that you have gone through have been absolutely exhausting. Can you walk us through some of the, I suppose, more scary points? Was there anything that you experienced where you might have felt unsafe or that was just, you just had no idea it was going to get that bad? Yeah. Okay. So I guess a typical day on this job is really varied. First and foremost, our safety is the most important thing. They Absolutely. never want to put us in a position where, you know, doing something that is inevitably going to end in us being harmed. Yeah. So they try and do it the safest way possible. So with these fires that have started, you know, they're such a large area that often a lot of what we've been doing has been using bigger machines to put in control lines mm. to be able to um, contain the fire before it reaches that point. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is thinking about, you know, protecting assets and if there's houses and communities that the fire is um, encroaching. So we'll put those lines in. Um, they, you know, we'll be, we'll get a bulldozer in there. And then often what we will be doing is actually back burning. So mm. we go in with tr- torches and we will, light fire and what happens is the fire will actually draw back into the main fire 
And that area that's now that we've burnt out, it actually eliminates the fuels in there so that the fire can't make a run and mm. jump past that control line that we've put in. Yeah. So I think if it was any other year, I'd probably be doing some more arduous and physical work, you know, going in there, smaller fires, putting water on it, controlling it, and then moving forward. But because these fires have been so large, a lot of what we've had to do is use big machines. Mm. But there have been quite a few days where, you know, I guess initially these fires started way, way back in, for us in um, East Gippsland, it was November. It was actually mm. the, my, the day of my induction. Um, we got to work and the fire alarms were going and our crew was sent out. Crazy. Yeah. And then, so from there, the fire was pretty much up in the bush for probably a solid month. Mm. Um, so we, we were, it wasn't near communities. And then with those big spike days, the fire moved closer to the communities and started impacting um, houses and things like that. Mm. So there was sort of a lot of repetition of using machines. And then when it started to come close to the houses, that's when we started doing a lot more of the longer shifts. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that was, I guess, when it became a little bit more scary. And, um, and you know, there were times where we'd go in and, and have to evacuate people from their homes mm-hmm. and and, you know, tell them that a fire was coming or, you know, put out spot fires that were starting in people's, on people's paddocks and things like that. So, honestly, a typical day, it, it really varies. It, totally. it just depends on the conditions of that day. And it has been, yeah, so different every day. Was your family, your family home um, ever in danger? Were you ever worried about your own family's home? Yep. So, there were a couple of, a couple of spike days where um, we were worried about our house. So... I guess there was just before New Year's, there was a period where we sort of had a wall of fire surrounding us. It wasn't within probably 20 k's of us at that point, but it was scary knowing that the wind was pushing it towards us. And often, you know, it's not exactly the the wall of fire that's coming towards you. It's the embers that, that get thrown up and fire creates its own uh, weather. So we were worried about embers falling on our house and um, and starting new fires elsewhere, which is a lot of what happens when houses are impacted. Mm-hmm. But then more recently, um, we had a fire moving west. That was probably um, probably the most worrying for us. It yeah. was coming yeah, directly towards us and we sort of had limited areas that we could put in the control lines to actually stop it from reaching us. Mm-hmm. So it did end up getting my favourite beach actually, Salmon Rocks in um, Cape Conran. Mm. Burnt down all the stairs and oh. um, um, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty heartbreaking to see and it did hit a few assets as well. We lost a couple of cabins but it didn't we, we managed to contain it before it reached Marlow, which was yeah, it, it's heartbreaking, it really is. But um we were really lucky in that um, it didn't impact Marlow, yeah, directly. Absolutely. Is there any um, any personal experiences or I'm sure the whole thing, as you said, is has been so rewarding when you have been able to save certain houses or towns or anything, but um, is there any personal story that you've had, whether it's with animals you found or, or a family you might have got to know during this that you want to share? Yeah, I think there's, well, I guess there's so much that we deal with every single day. There's a mm-hmm. different story that you we hear of every day or we're involved with. So I think there's so much and it's, I guess, bushfires. It's really tough to understand how it has such a negative impact on communities because Mm -hmm. I guess you kind of look at the stats and you think, well, you know, 
houses are being burnt down, but insurance will cover that and, you know, people can just rebuild. And I guess that before I moved to the country and had ever experienced a bushfire, that's kind of what I thought mm. um, of the whole the whole thing. And then to really move there and see, the, I guess it's the prolonged trauma. It's like, you know, these fires for us started in November. And then from day one, it was, you know, for me personally, I had to help evacuate my grandma, <sighs> which that was, that was really hard, you know, but in the scheme of things, people went through some really terrible things. Yeah. We had our animals that we couldn't relocate. The roads were blocked. So we had horses that we had to, you know, cut off their manes and um, try and protect them that yeah. way. And then I guess as the fires got closer, we had quite a few people that actually worked with me that lost their homes. One family in particular um, that I'm pretty close with, he lost his home and then they relocated to their, their beach house, which so their house was in Starfield. They moved into their beach house, which was in Cape Conran. And then, you know, within a matter of weeks, they were protecting their second oh. home, hoping that that one wasn't going to burn down as well. Yeah, which it was, it was honestly, it's heartbreaking. And you see people are so positive about it and, and they just, they really do, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they grieve, but then they get back up and they keep going and, and you just, yeah, it, it has been so tough. And I finally understand how how much of an impact bushfires have on communities. Totally. You know, with businesses being closed down and, you know, not just homes being lost, but people are so exhausted. They spend days and days and days trying to protect their home, you know, watering down the outsides and making sure no embers are falling. And, and also when you're living in a community that's so close, everyone's worried about each other. Yeah, so like you all know each other. Time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just high stress for a really long period of time. So I think, yeah, it's just been one thing after another. Um, and I guess with with the job, the hardest part is working in those communities. You know, you know a lot of the people that you have to evacuate. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, you know, doing your job, going to work and doing your job. You go to work and you're still working with people that you know, mm-hmm. you know, when you leave work. So, yeah, it, it's been really tough. But, yeah, I know we can all come back from this. So Yeah, of course. How How is it at the moment? How are things at the moment? So at the moment, um, things are um, really good with the the rain. Um, we have a we've still got a few peat fires um, which are burning sort of under the ground, but they are you know we've got vehicles um, attending to them at the moment. So I've just been on a little bit of a break, mm-hmm. um, a, a couple of rest days, um, back to work tomorrow, and hopefully when I come back, it'll be a lot about um, trying to assess the hazardous trees to make sure um, roads safe for us to reopen and things like that. There's going to be a lot of um, recovery work to be done over the next couple of months. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't end when the fires are out. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of hard work and everything obviously goes into it during it, but I can only imagine the communities rebuilding and, and every, all the work that you guys do. It's, it's really starting now. So, uh, well, we can't thank you enough for everything that you're doing. Um, you and your crew but also for coming on and sharing that I think it's really cool to hear from someone who's kind of on the front line of this stuff um there is so much I mean there's so much that you shared that I didn't even know myself so I hope our listeners are taking something from it and and for anyone that's interested in getting into firefighting what are some things that you would say to them to be aware of I would definitely say join your local CFA. I think it's a really good opportunity to, to volunteer to help out. And, you know, obviously if you're not available, then you, you don't have to help. And mm. um, and so you can sort of, yeah, 
be available when you can. And it's a really good opportunity to, to help local communities. Even if you have, you know, a beach house somewhere and they've got a local CFA, mm. um, definitely join up and just get involved with, I think there's quite a few different organisations that have started up trying to help put businesses or help businesses out with this recovery process. Mm. Just trying to rebuild communities. Obviously, there's a lot of tourism and stuff like that that, you know, we've missed out on over these um, past few months, a lot of these communities rely on on tourism over the summer. So yeah, get out there, and um, I think there's yeah l- lots of lots of ways to help out. But if you definitely if you want to do something like firefighting, I'd say yeah, look into Forest Fire Management Victoria into yeah doing a, a summer role there, or yeah volunteer with your local CFA there. But, yeah, two awesome ways to get involved. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> So we hope you guys enjoyed that conversation or both the conversations we had today with our special guests. We, we thought it was a really special one. So we hope that you enjoyed it. And now to finish off, um, I actually went to my stories and I asked you guys, our community, about some post-bushfire initiatives that you knew about and that we could share uh, on the podcast. Mm. And especially we wanted to do a bit of a focus on um, initiatives that are helping to rehabilitate communities that been, have been affected yeah. because while the fires might have gone out, which is, you know, amazing in a lot of the communities, they now need to rebuild and especially all the shops in there, like they need to keep totally. making money and we need to go there and spend money with them. So we have summarised uh, the ones that came out, came up, I suppose, the most commonly. Mm, yeah. And yeah, so we hope that you enjoy this and you can search for all of them on Instagram or on, on their websites. Yeah, we'll make sure we put um, their details in our show notes as well, along with everything else from this episode. But the one I wanted to start with was Empty Esky. So I spotted this one on um, Instagram, I suppose, straight away. It sounded like such a great initiative. It's a national movement to encourage people to take an esky to fire-affected areas and support the local businesses which were affected by the bushfires. So businesses affected can register through the link in their bio but you yourself can also take the pledge to visit a fire affected town with your empty esky to support the businesses in need i love that and having an esky i feel like that's such an australian yeah i love that (laughs) that's a really good idea i'm definitely going to do that and next there is one called spend with them which is another one that came up quite a lot which was started by turia pitt and grace mcbride the instagram is at spend with them and they share businesses affected by the fires so that you can spend with them when you next choose to shop. So there's lots of businesses being shared mm. on there, which is why I love this page. I love following it. Uh, and if you are a business that has been affected and would like to be featured, you can email them through the bio on their Instagram. Next up is Buy From The Bush, started in October last year as an Instagram page showcasing the beautiful things available to buy from rural communities facing drought. Buy From The Bush aims to connect bushfire businesses with city customers. It celebrates creativity, productivity, innovation and resilience of rural communities. And from what I read on their website, it sounds like they've already made such a massive difference. Um, So thank you for everyone who has already supported them. But yeah, you can check them out and we'll put their information in the show notes. And next up, Road Trip for Good. This is another initiative to support the businesses affected from the fires. And they created an interactive map of places to stay, eat and shop to encourage people to jump in the car and head towards the towns that need support. So I love this one because it's all planned out for you. So good. And you can actually like plan out your trip with that interactive map. 
Next up is a little bit different, Blaze Aid, a volunteer-based organisation that works with families and individuals in rural Australia after natural disasters such as these fires. Working alongside rural families, their volunteers help rebuild fences and other structures that have been damaged or destroyed. Whether you would like to volunteer and help out or need help yourself, you can inquire through their website. And lastly, Thread Together, a non-profit organisation whose mission is to deliver new, good quality clothing to people who are doing it tough. They source new and excess clothing from fashion retailers and redistribute items to those that need it most. And I think it's a really good one because Mm. I know when the fires were happening, so many people were asking where to donate their clothes to and how to help. So that is a really good one. Totally. We hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. As I said earlier, all of the information from all of these initiatives and, of course, Wildlife Victoria will be in our show notes. We hope to see you or you hear from us (laughs) next Wednesday with our next podcast and we hope you enjoy your day. Bye, guys.